Hey, man, you may be seated. Hey man, well, I'll be honest, I gotta, I gotta uh, confess some sin right here. Maybe it's not sin, maybe I'm overreacting a little bit. Um, I'm not preaching the lesson today that I necessarily want to preach. I want to preach about world evangelism, what it's going to take to get the job done. That, that's exciting to me. Um, what I want to preach about is missions contribution. I want to preach about what is it going to take to have the faith to take in, to bring in the missions contribution in the next couple of weeks. Um, pretty exciting, actually. Today, Courtney and I handed in our last bit for missions, and this was by far for us the most expensive missions that we've ever uh, given. Not necessarily in the amount, but, but um, you know, we sold stuff to get every dime of our missions this year. Um, I have a Bible collection. I sold two of my Bibles that are so precious to me, but they're gone now. Uh, you know, growing up, I was in the, the video game scene. I sold my PlayStation this week with all of the accessories and everything. But uh, you know what? It's all good. Maybe it's time to grow up a little bit. And now, uh, now God's going to be glorified through our missions contribution. Amen. So this isn't necessarily the, the lesson that I want to preach, but I believe that it's necessary and I need to preach it. So let's go to God in a word of prayer as we uh, study out his word this morning. Amen. Amen. Father, we come before you very grateful, very humbled, very excited, Father, to dig into your word. Father, we know that if there are really essentially two things that are going to keep us faithful all of our life, it's prayer and Bible study. Father, we know that we need to know our Bibles. We need to know the truth so that the truth can speak in us and to us and through us. And Father, I really pray it this morning. We will all leave here excited, even more excited than when we came in and even more faith filled when we came in, Father. Please uh, be with the fellowship. Please be with all the ministry changes. I really pray in a great way, God, that you can take our church to new heights uh, from every aspect and in every ministry, Father. We love you. It's in your son's mighty name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of our message this morning is The Day You Defeat the Devil. You know, I am very grateful to be here. Um, Courtney and I learned how to deeply appreciate the singles ministry and the marriage ministry, actually, uh, most profoundly when we moved to Syracuse, New York. When we moved there back in August 2013, the campus ministry was four, and we essentially restored all four of them over the next few weeks, Owen being one of them. And so the majority of our friendships were actually in the singles and the marrieds, and God really worked in that church in a powerful way. In the next two years, God added over 75 to our membership. And the church grew just tremendously. It was exciting to be there. And we really learned the importance of having pillars in the church from the singles ministry and from the marriage ministry. And so it is exciting to be here. I do believe that uh, some of our closest friendships in the church are actually in this room. Uh, We feel very endeared to the Bible Talk leaders, um, just being a part of our little uh, core of leadership uh, in the church. uh, But also so many of you that were on the mission team and that have been around for a while. Uh, it's good to be here with you. Amen? Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I hope we can appreciate a little Bible study this morning. You might need to take some notes to keep up with us. We're going to be going all throughout the Old Testament. We got some Genesis. We got some Isaiah. We got some New, New Testament stuff. So it's going to be an exciting Bible study. But again, the title of our message is The Day You Defeat the Devil. And I probably need to clarify a little bit. That you is plural. That this is not something that you can do on your own. You need God. You need each other. That you are going to defeat the devil. But of course we need Jesus Christ to help us to defeat the devil. 
Here in 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start our reading in verse 7. And, you know, for me, I, I just like to read the Bible. Sometimes I like to just read it out loud. So we're going to read quite a bit right here, most of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5. So let's start our reading here in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You know, John, over and over, whether it's in the Gospel of John or one of his epistles right here, he talks a lot about love. In fact, he goes from being one of the sons of thunder to later on in his eldership, he really does become the elder, the apostle of love. And isn't that what he was all about? I mean, it was when Jesus was hanging on the cross that he gave Mary to be the mother of John and John to be the son of Mary. John, probably more than any of the other apostles, felt the love of Jesus. And he talks a lot about it. And right here he says, dear friends, little ones, I've I've got to communicate to you something very important. He says, we need to love one another. And I think this is a command that so many of us have heard and and known for, for many, many years. But the question comes, why? Right? I mean, why do we really need to love each other? Isn't it good enough to just like each other? To tolerate each other, to see each other at church on Sundays? Why do we got to go the extra mile and actually deeply, truly love one another? John essentially gives us six reasons right here. He says, number one, because love comes from God. And really anything that comes from God for us is worth doing. Secondly, he says, because you've been born of God. And really children ought to look like their parents. Thirdly, he says, because you know God. And the word know right here literally means coming into the knowledge of. And so literally every day you're growing closer and closer to God, we ought to be growing closer and closer to one another. Fourthly, he says God is love, and we got to imitate God. uh, Number five, God loves you. Number six, God sent his son to die for you so that you would love. Isn't that a pretty good argument? Yeah. I mean, I said that fast enough, but you can pull it out of the text yourself later on. These are six very solid reasons and arguments for why, as a church, we need to deeply love one another. Let's jump down a little bit at the end of verse 16. He says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world, we are like him. So you're convinced, you're convinced that we need to love each other. Now we know why we need to love each other, but what does love do? Well, right here, it says that now you can approach the throne of God with confidence, because you love deeply, because now you are reflecting your creator, God Almighty. Love makes us Like God. Love carries out the commands we'll see later on. Love overcomes the world, as we'll see later on. But one day, 
you will approach the day of judgment. And don't you want to be confident on the day of judgment? I look forward to the day of judgment. When you're a disciple, you have nothing to fear about the day of judgment. Because even though all your sin is going to be brought up, Jesus is going to be the atoning sacrifice for you. You can approach the throne of God with confidence. And as a disciple, we need to be confident. You know, I kind of imagine Judgment Day something like this. You know, you're going to be standing in line. Of course, you'll get through the little gateway area. And then it's time. It's time. And there you approach the throne and it's just you. And you approach the throne and then you'll see an attorney off on the side. You'll see the devil. And the devil's like, Joel was a proud man. And I'll get ashamed and I'll lower my head a little bit. He was selfish and I'll lower my head a little bit. He was mean to his wife and I'll, I'll lower my head a little bit. He yelled at his kids and, and all my sin's going to come out. And now it's not public confession, so I'm going to it, keep it to myself. Enough. And all the sin's going to, and by the time that I feel like the trap door's about to open and I'm going to slide my way down into hell... I'm going to hear this sweet voice from the right side of the throne. And it's going to be Jesus. And he's going to say, now hold it. That's my brother. And I'm going to stand up straight. And I'm going to see Jesus. He goes, now that's my brother. See, he was unashamed of me during his time on earth. And now I'm going to be unashamed of him. If you want to get to Joel and send him to hell, you need to come through me. In fact, devil... If you find any imperfection in me, you can send Joel to hell. But if you look at my life and you see no imperfection, then it's only right that Joel gets to live with me for eternity. Amen. And the devil's going to be shut up. Amen. He will have nothing to say. Amen. He go, well, it sounds like a fine argument. But do you have any proof? Do you have any witnesses? Let's continue reading. Chapter 5, verse 1. Awesome. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in the is in his son. He who has the son has life and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have approaching God. 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin, that does not lead to death. He should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those who sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that does lead to, that does lead to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe. And the one who cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. Even in the Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. You know, John says, we know this is fact. This is true. And he says that there are three that testify on our behalf. You know, the law says that you need two or three witnesses for a testimony to be validated. And so we got three witnesses that are going to speak on our behalf. The spirit, the water, and the blood. Look over in Genesis chapter 3. The first that testifies is the Spirit of God, and that is truth. That is the Word of God. And one of the earliest prophecies of the Scriptures about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God is found here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And God says to the devil, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God right here gives a prophecy that someday Jesus would crush the devil. Isn't that awesome? I mean, annihilate the devil. It would be the end of him. And that day is going to come, as far as we know, on Judgment Day. And this was the prophecy. This was the mother of all prophecies. In fact, the rest of the Bible is a commentary on this verse right here. That someday Jesus is going to destroy the devil. And we need to look forward to that day. Yeah. And have confidence on the day of judgment. We, we can have confidence, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the savior of your soul. He's the savior of my soul. You know, Jesus is going to annihilate the devil. You know, I'm, I'm honestly a little tired of people saying I'm struggling or, or the devil's really attacking me or this is happening or that's happening. We need to have confidence in who Jesus is and why he's coming yeah. to destroy the devil. Hold your spot here and look back in Hebrews chapter 2. Let's talk about who the devil really is. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, since the, children have flesh, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him. Who holds the power of death. That is the devil. You know, the the scriptures teach right here that the devil someday is going to be brought to nothing. Nothing. Zero. Nada. You can approach the throne 
at 0.001% spiritual and you're still greater than the devil. I mean, you can have the worst spiritual week of your life if you if you decided to remain in the body of Christ and stay faithful and stay true to the fact that the spirit testifies that Jesus was the son of God. Then you, too, can approach the throne with great confidence. No, the Bible says that Jesus is going to bring the devil to naught. Bring him to zero. He will be annihilated. He will have no hold on you any longer. And, and it's about that time, brothers and sisters, that we understand how great our Jesus is and stop promoting the devil Amen. around the world. It's, it's okay to struggle and to fight here and there, but we should not be giving the devil a foothold on our lives in any way. Right. When you understand who Jesus is and that he's Lord of your life, that he really is the son of God, then what are we afraid of? What are we worried about? How bad could it possibly get? Even if he knocks you down. On a scale of 1 to 10, he knocks you down to a 1. He knocks you down to a 0.5. He knocks you down to a 0.001. You're still better off than the devil. And we should be fired up and confident as we approach the throne of God. The writer continues. says, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We have nothing to be afraid of. As disciples, you know, the Bible tells us that we have nothing to be afraid of. You go, well, Joel, you're a preacher. You're supposed to inspire us. Of course, you're going to say things like this. No, the Bible tells you the same thing. It's the spirit that testifies that Jesus is the son of God. And we can find great assurance in the power of the scriptures because the spirit is truth. It is absolutely true for your life. You know, in Luke chapter 1, the angel shows up to Mary and says, Mary, he says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And, you know, Mary takes this salutation, if you will, as something to be afraid of. And the Bible says she gets a little scared. And yet he continues on down in verse 31. He goes, Well, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so that the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. You know, the angel comes to Mary and says, you've got nothing to be afraid of. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you. The Holy Spirit's going to testify that your son is the son of God. Amen. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he gets up to preach because it was in chapter 3 that he was baptized. And so in chapter 4, he gets up to preach, starting in verse 16. And you can read through it. We're not going to read it. But he, he stands up in verse 18 
And he preaches out of Isaiah chapter 61, the first couple verses. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. We need to remember, it is the spirit of God that testifies that Jesus is the son of God. And Jesus says, listen, the spirit's on me. He says, now I can testify because the spirit is testifying that I'm the son of God, that I am anointed by God. And if you continue to read from here on the Sermon on the Mount all the way to the Sermon on the Hill, Jesus is preaching by the power of the Spirit that he is the Son of God. In Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 14, we'll read it later on, but it says that Jesus died through the Spirit so that he might be presented as an unblemished sacrifice. 1 Peter 3.18 says he was raised by the Spirit, born by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, witnessed to by the Spirit of baptism, performed miracles by the Spirit, um, preached by the Spirit, died by the Spirit, raised by the Spirit, ascended to heaven, and he sent the Spirit. And the Spirit has bore testimony in God's word from that day until this. The Spirit of God bears the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the son of God, the Lord of your life, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And you and I insult God when we do not believe in these passages. When you hear them and you don't believe them, you insult God. We need to be taking these convictions and making them our own and live by them. We got to be obedient because of them. This needs to be the driving force as to why we can testify and why we can tell people that Jesus is the Son of God. Because the Spirit told you so. The Spirit testifies on our behalf. Secondly, the water testified that Jesus was the Son of God. You know, John was the one that baptized Jesus. Now, John was a good man. But I mean, compared to Jesus... Who is good? And so when Jesus comes, he goes, I am unworthy even to, to, to be your slave. And John says, would you baptize me? And he goes, no, no, no. I need to get baptized because I need to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Psalm 119 verse 172 says, all your commands are righteous. Do you understand that up to that point, at 30 years old, Jesus had obeyed every command that God had ever given Except for baptism. This was a command of God. It was the one thing he was falling short in. The one thing. And he was going to get baptized so that the water could now testify that he truly was the son of God. You know, if Jesus had disobeyed even this one commandment, he'd be turning his back and rejecting God. He wanted to fulfill all righteousness that God had planned for him. You know, for us, we don't get baptized to fulfill all righteousness. We get baptized because we can't. I mean, Jesus said, I've obeyed all the commands except this one. Now I've got to get baptized. We go, man, I haven't obeyed any of the commands. Now I've got to get baptized. You see, Jesus got baptized in obeying this one command so that he could be presented as a perfect, unblemished sacrifice in the eyes of God because he knew that you and I could not. But it is a command of God. And it is expected by God that we're to do so. In fact, the Bible teaches that the Pharisees rejected the purpose that God had for their life because they refused to get baptized. In Matthew chapter 3, after Jesus is baptized, the, the, the dove comes down on him. And this, of course, was a sign to John the Baptist 
who was going to be the son of God. And when John sees the dove descend and land on Jesus, he now knew this is the son of God. See, I always thought that when, when John was approached by Jesus and he goes, this is the lamb of God, he already knew this, this is the son of God. But it wasn't until he saw the, the Holy Spirit descend onto Jesus that then he knew this was the Son of God. The Spirit was testifying that Jesus was the Son of God. Amen. And when it happens in Matthew chapter 3, God says, this is my Son whom I love. But then it's kind of funny. In Mark chapter uh, 1 and Luke chapter 3, God says, you are my Son. So I've always kind of wondered, like, well, is it you are my Son or this is my Son? Well, one was a testimony to John and one was a testimony to Jesus. To Jesus, he says, you are my son. To John, he says, this is my son. I think what God probably said is my son. And so we know that the spirit is testifying that Jesus was the son of God. And of course, the water can now testify that Jesus is the son of God. Look over in John chapter one. In John chapter 1 and verse 28, get a little running start. It says, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I met when I said a man who comes after me and surpassed me because it was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom I see this, that you see the spirit come down and remain in is the one uh, who, you, who, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. And of course, John's testimony came out of the water that Jesus is the Son of God. The water says that Jesus is the Son of God. Now let's talk about the blood. I mean, what does the death, the blood, have to say about Jesus? Look over in Hebrews chapter 9. Awesome, Joel. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, start at the beginning of the paragraph, it says, When Christ came as a high priest of the new things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so, so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the, the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. You know, what we learn right here is that it's the blood that allowed Jesus to enter into the most holy place. He was a priest. He was a high priest that would mediate the new covenant for our lives. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that he possessed eternal redemption for us. I mean, this was a perfect man that died. 
He, he, he hung on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had turned his back on him while he was on the cross because he had laid upon himself the sins of the world. And yet the Spirit provided him a grace right here. It provided him the opportunity to die. How do we know that? Because Jesus didn't die saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He died saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He got the power from the Holy Spirit to die on the cross. And one day, you and I, we're going to need that power to die faithful before God. While others shake and fret, when other people are afraid to to die, what's going to happen? As disciples, we can approach the throne of God with confidence and faithful to our God. Knowing and believing that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, for us, I, I hope that you fully understand that, that Judgment Day is going to be awesome. Because yeah. it's at that time that you go, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. Yeah. You have nothing to be afraid of as you approach the throne. Let's continue to read in verse 15. It says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed, under the first covenant. You know, Jesus died as number one to be to mediate a new covenant, but then number two, so that he could ransom the people that have been captive to sin, so that they can receive this promised inheritance. You know, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have been saved from yes, the consequence of sin, but also the practice of sin. Look back in first John chapter five. In verse 16, it says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and that God will give him life. There's a difference between committing a sin and living in sin. He clarifies that in verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. There's a difference between committing sin, continuing to live in sin. I like the other translation a little bit better. It says, make a practice of sinning. You know, you're going to get good at whatever you practice. Right. You're going to get good at it. And, you know, for me growing up, I grew up playing the baritone, which is kind of like a mini tuba. And my sister grew up playing the, the clarinet. She practiced. I did it. And so at her little concerts, you could absolutely tell she kind of fit in with everybody else. And my concerts were a little bit embarrassing. I would, I would be afraid to even blow any air into the horn because I just did not know what I was doing. Mm. You know, there's a difference between committing sin And then actually continuing to live in that sin. And when you look at somebody that's practicing sin on a regular basis, you can tell it is obvious that they don't have the blood of Jesus that has washed away the sins of their life. And yet when someone has been baptized as a true disciple, the Bible teaches that the blood of Jesus will forgive all your sins and it will give you the opportunity to be set free from being captive to that sin. So that you don't have to continue to, to, to live in that sin any longer. And when people are living in sin, and it's not just a, commit, a committed sin here and there. You know, it, it, it's, it's sad, but they're turning their back on the blood of Jesus. Yeah. And we need to understand that anything we practice, we're good at. Let's practice using the scriptures. Let's practice praying. Let's practice our confession. Let's practice the fellowship. We need to show up to church ready to sing, ready to worship, ready to glorify, show up to disciple times, ready to get discipled, ready to get open. 
These are the practices that as Christians we need to be living out on a regular basis. You guys with me here? You know, in, uh, in John chapter 12, we'll go there. We learned something from Jesus right here. How's my time? I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. My goal is to be done by one. I can't make any promises, but we'll see. John chapter 12 and verse 20. It says, And there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to, to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I don't like the NIV. Actually, it's better translated. It produces much fruit. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it, said it had thundered. Others said it was an angel that had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment in this world. But the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And they knew that. They, the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will, will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have a light for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The, the man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. But your, put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid him. Self from them. You know, right here, Jesus talks about the death principle. He says, you don't have life unless you have death. Jesus says he's going to die. Well, how do we know? Because the Spirit just testified about it. Jesus knew he was going to die. And how do you know? Because in verse 20, it says, now the Gentiles have showed up. And when the Gentiles come and when the Gentiles say, I want to see Jesus, now you can be absolutely sure it's time to die. And that doesn't sound too appealing to all of us. Because we read this and we go, well, I don't really want to die. And of course, that's what Jesus thought. I mean, even the thought passed through his mind. Should I, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. I've got to glorify God by dying to myself. Amen. Death brings light. And of course, he says, I'm going to die. There's going to be light. And make sure that while you have that light, you repent of your sins. You know, our churches go around the world. And in all these cities around the world... There are lots and lots of Gentiles that are saying, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. I mean, do you believe that? Yeah. In Asia, there are people that are, that are saying, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. In Russia, there are people saying, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Down in Africa, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Down in Haiti, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Yeah. South America, Gentiles are saying, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And we should be pretty excited about that. 
Amen. That there are open people everywhere you go that want to hear the gospel and want to experience Jesus. You know, we got a cranking church out in Moscow right now. Amen. The Church of Manila has had 121 additions to their church this year. They're well over 100 or 250 disciples now. Our church in Delhi that just started several months ago now has 126 disciples since, since April. In Haiti, we now have 11 churches, 386 disciples of Jesus Christ. Dubai, we now have 40 disciples of Jesus Christ. And in Sydney, we have 68 disciples sold out for Jesus Christ. In Lagos, now 128 disciples sold out for Jesus Christ. In Kinshasa, almost 500 disciples now sold out for Jesus Christ. You know, death brings life. Death brings light. And we need to understand the, the death principle. It brings evangelism. It brings fruit. It brings maturity. All the time, every time. You know, in Luke 14, it's probably a, another sermon for another day. In verse 26, Jesus says, if you're going to come follow me, you need to have an unrivaled love. You've got to love me above everybody else. He says in verse 27, an unceasing Dying. In other words, you need to die to yourself every day. In verse 33, an unqualified renunciation of all things, that you need to give up everything to follow Jesus. We need to be willing to die to ourselves as disciples of Jesus, because that's what he did. And that's the only way to bear much fruit. You know, excitingly, last week we saw a Mecca baptized into Christ as a freshman at the University of Washington. And he understands his baptism. He was so grateful because in his testimony before his baptism, he said, I'm so grateful for guys like Tyrese that have given up all their time in the first two weeks of school to go out sharing for this evangelism blitz and then reach out to guys like me that can now be true disciples of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to mention the fact that Tyrese was also reached out to the same way last fall at the University of Washington. You know, when we see people get baptized, we need to truly understand that this is a denial of self in order to bear much fruit. You know, this week I saw Mecca on campus several times. And every time I saw him, he had his Bible in hand. He was either in a Bible study with somebody. He was out sharing his faith. He was sitting there at Bible talk. He is now a sold-out disciple of Jesus Christ because other brothers were willing to die to themselves to make much fruit. You know, the Bible teaches we have three that testify on our behalf. Three. Not two. Not one. Not just Jesus. But we've got three. We've got the Spirit that testifies in the Word of God. And every day that you wake up and every day that you get to read God's Word, the Spirit is testifying to your heart. And of course, we have the blood that comes by the death of Jesus. And it was that blood that Jesus shed on the cross that has now testified to us that he was the Son of God. And I hope we can appreciate that. But you know, Jesus, as the testimony himself, and when he speaks on our behalf, gives us the opportunity to defeat the devil. And as we read, let's close in 1 John chapter 5. In verse 3. 
Knowing that it is the Spirit, the water, and the blood that testify. In verse 3, it says, This is the love of God to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's be living testimonies as we defeat the devil in our day.